This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Hello, everybody. In this episode, we're going to hear about inspiring cases in which communities have used their cultural heritage as a resource to resist gentrification. Our guests debate the conditions and instruments under which this can become possible. I spoke with Paula Marquez, Deputy Mayor of Lisbon, Maciek Ceredis from the Warsaw-based Lab of the Open Heritage Project, and Levente Poliak from the NGO Utropian. This episode is a co-production between the Urban Political Podcast and the Open Heritage Project, and my name is Markus Kipp. Among critical scholars and urban activists, the care for heritage of an urban area is often associated with strategies to commercialize, to touristify, and ultimately to pave the ground for gentrification. Neighborhood development based on its heritage all too often is geared towards creating a unique selling point of the area to attract more visitors and to create commercial services to accommodate them. From tourist shops to pricey restaurants, hotels and furnished holiday apartments. Facades may be rehabilitated, streets renovated, but at the same time rent prices and other living expenses go up and the area may become increasingly uninhabitable for long-term residents. Our guests throw a critical yet different perspective on this topic. I met them at the Informed Cities Conference that took place on October 15 and 16, 2019 in Warsaw. Okay, thank you everyone for participating in this discussion. And I would just ask you to briefly introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Paula Marks. I'm Deputy Mayor for Housing and Local Development, City of Lisbon. Hello, my name is Levanta Poliak and I work in an organization called Utropian and we work a lot on public civic partnerships. Hi, I'm Maciej Czeredis. I'm an architect uh, and a member of Open Heritage and at the same time Prague Lab. So I'd like to first ask Paula, given the acute housing crisis and shortage in many European cities, including also Lisbon, looking at housing as a basic human right, how can we be concerned with heritage? Uh, so, as, as you said, Lisbon is facing, um, again, a housing crisis. Um, the difference from the 90s, I think, it's that um, we have a crisis uh, that is not only on the most vulnerable uh, sector families, but also in middle class. And the, the thing about the gentrification uh, that, in fact, happens, I would say, a little bit spread in the city, but there's a, a territory where it's concentrated and is the old town, the city center, <clears throat> the historical city center. So, um, and it's where we talk a little, uh, the most about heritage. What is heritage? Is it a material uh, expression? Is it the buildings? Is it the streets? Is it the urban design of the old city? Is it those, uh, the people that live in, in their the activities? Uh, and also the spirit of the territory. Um, and in fact, it's all this that has been affected by the gentrification and uh, the crisis that we are dealing with. 
This this thing about how can you how can heritage be uh, a way of people um, fight against the situation, or if the heritage is something that can promote uh, um, the also promote the gentrification, especially when you use the heritage as a, a product to sell to tourism, people wanted to see the heritage, uh, mostly the physical, the architectural, the. Uh, heritage of the city. What we have been uh, uh, facing is that we have a lot of movements in the city center that are fighting uh, the, the gentrification process and using the, the concept of heritage, immaterial heritage, as uh, uh, a way to, an instrument to force uh, public uh, institutions municipal and uh, national level to make a, a statement and a position and mostly to have uh, action on uh, the, the, the eviction situation that we have. What the municipality did using the thing about heritage <clears throat> was uh, we uh, developed a program uh, using public houses in the city center historical Uh, public uh, houses that were refurnished by the municipality and in a specific program to uh, in a in a public tender to um, to families that were uh, losing their uh, houses uh, with uh, the crisis on private market Uh, and house people that were living in the city center for the last 50 years so they they are part of the community especially elder people, uh, and we, we promoted this program, and we are now in with 150 uh, unities in the city center that uh, were, uh, uh, were given uh, by Concord <laughs> uh, to, the, to the families that were losing their, their, their houses. And in fact, it's to maintain community, it's to maintain the diversity of the, and making social, territorial and social, social and territorial uh, cohesion, because if not, we are going to lose people that, yes, have low income, but have been working and creating community in the city center, in the cultural heritage that we have in the city. So these one, uh, 150 families uh, would be out of the city center uh, if the municipality didn't uh, take a step and act. Thank you, Paula. Um, Maciek, uh, you're active in Warsaw, and Warsaw has also seen significant... Uh, real estate speculation and development uh, in which community venues and services have been lost. So how, how do you see the role of heritage, cultural heritage in, in struggling against this development? Um, first, I think I would start from differentiating uh, the term heritage into this tangible and intangible um, heritage. Because that's, I think it's quite crucial and important to understand that these are two crucial components of heritage. It's not like that one works without another. 
so this uh, so that capital transformation of many spaces are rather perceived by many people i think as something positive that is bringing this new face it's like re uh, reconstructing or uh, or Uh, refreshing those val those, those tangible values, but the problem is with these intangible values that are at the same time always in in all the this kind of a processes lost. So there is no uh, continuity. Most often, those processes, those capital investments that, as I said, we can really observe in the city uh, in a, in a vast uh, uh, in a vast number. Uh, are destructive to all those fragile, vulnerable elements like uh, people practices, like a certain traditions, uh, and, and even um, it's uh, um, um, and people expectations uh, to be able to use uh, very diverse. Uh, spaces or places. I, I can share one uh, interesting example. This is an example of uh, of a urban structure uh, that is very much connected to the reconstruction of Warsaw. It's very centrally located, uh, just uh, really few minutes from the city center, uh, and at the same time, uh, it's surrounded by the by the main cultural um, places of Warsaw. Uh, I'm talking about Ujazdów um, uh, housing complex, let's call it like that. It's In fact, it's a complex of, uh, it used to be a complex of uh, Finnish houses, as we call it in Warsaw. So these are like wooden, small wooden houses that were um, brought from Finland to Poland in 50s as a kind of a compensation after the collapse of uh, of of uh, uh, German regime that was in that time supported uh, supported by by Finland the interesting thing about this that that uh, that urban structure uh, very untypical like it looks like a country uh, countryside uh, since the warsaw is very much um, Uh, capital-oriented city in terms of invest, invest me, investment. Uh, and from the perspective of many urban uh, planners, that space was, should be urbanized, should be turned into something better than it, it, it is right now. Uh, uh, for sure not a countryside uh, style. Um, it was like mm, then there, the, the, the very difficult situation happened because at the same time some people starting to see the value of that space and manifesting that and uh, a lot of activists group around you know the the uh, like trying to protect that space uh, and th those houses. Uh, and at the same time, the city of obviously that wants a lot of need to to get some money from from market and wanted to sell it that that land for new developments. There was this clash between those two forces, like from this uh, from the bottom up and top down, uh, you know, perspective. The process obviously of selling that it was was stopped, 
And now the situation is somehow suspended, like the process of selling it out or turning into new development is somehow suspended. I think it's still very vulnerable uh, situation in which it can turn in both sides. But I think that here you can see how how those intangible values are rather than those tangible mm-hmm. because the houses are very simple. Probably they should be even some of them should be reconstructed. It's not like a subject for conservation because it's very difficult to conservate. But the question is, shall we reconstruct other houses and what should be the function of it? Should be still a housing complex or maybe it should be turned into something something else. So but the the, the, the issue of this continuity, you know, it's very important. Uh, and the threat to break it and uh, break it uh, and um, and stop that, uh, like to break that continuity is, is still quite huge, I think. Levente, you have experience in several European cities, uh, working with community groups that draw on cultural heritage uh, as a resource. Um, could you also elaborate a bit uh, on your experiences in terms of how this uh, difference between tangible and intangible heritage is articulated by those community groups? Yeah, I think it's it's very important to uh, look at why a heritage building becomes attractive on, on the side of big capital or on the side of, of communities. And what's happening is that Very often, big capital sensibility follows much later uh, a community sensibility. So this is why what we saw in many places, uh, starting from the classical gentrification of uh, industrial buildings in, in, in New York or London, no? that artists, communities, people who had sensibility for certain kinds of buildings, they were there much earlier, but they didn't have the tools at the time to really really keep uh, those properties or really uh, create a long-term presence there because in this very same moment when artists, for example, discovered industrial heritage, uh, the real estate profession also discovers industrial heritage and it has become very quickly a big thing. So I think what's quite important is that uh, heritage has this uh, the disadvantage, uh, heritage buildings have the disadvantage that you need very often a lot of money to renovate them, so it's big capital needed, but also has the advantage from our viewpoint that, uh, that they have a special symbolic value, this intangible value of, of a community, of a network of people around that makes it actually very attractive for people to put a lot of energy beyond a rational calculation of my energy inputs versus my what I get out, because that creates actually a, a sense of belonging and the community around, around these buildings. I can tell you an example that I, I find very, very fascinating because it has, um, in a way unfolded without a lot of uh, a lot of thinking, a lot of methodology, a lot of tools, and, and it was a quite spontaneous process in Rome, uh, where a few years ago a group of practically high school children, high, high school youngsters who were looking for a place to study in the afternoon, while because of austerity measures a lot of places were, a lot of like learning rooms were shut down, they found 
an abandoned cinema building in uh, the Trastevere neighborhood of, of Rome. And this was a very beautiful modernist cinema building from a famous architect. And they fell in love with this. They coordinated a lot. They built a discussion with the neighborhood who were really worried. Uh, so local community was very worried about uh, turning this cinema into just another uh, high-end housing in Trastevere. So at some point they had the support of the, the, the neighborhood and they occupied it. Now, that started, on the one hand, a big legal debate and also police eviction and all kinds of things. But also, on the other hand, it, it also started a big debate about um, the role of civic assets or community assets in, in neighborhoods like Trastevere, which is, you know, so much gentrified and so much touristified in the last 30 years. So it's, you know, mortal beings hardly ever live there anymore. And what, what made it also very special that they, they were literally teenagers and this attracted a lot the attention of, of, um, of filmmakers, like famous filmmakers who were a bit hanging out in Trastevere. And they were actually really, really afraid that nobody's going to watch their films anymore because everybody has on their mobile phones and they watch three-minute videos. So nobody's going to be interested in, you know, two-hour movies by, uh, by Sorrentino or Carlo Gardone. So all these people actually became really, really attracted and, and fascinated by this uh, process. So there was a certain moment when... When these guys started, what they called it Cinema America, then they called it like the collective of Cinema America. And there was a, mon a moment when they started to present a, a bid to buy this building. And uh, actually they, they raised, with the help of all these filmmakers, they raised uh, uh, three and a half million euros. Except that uh, the owner wanted five million euros, so it didn't work out on the long term. But this generated so much attention that the whole movement uh, to to rethink a little bit this community as these cultural resources in the city was started and, and also a lot of other initiatives to reclaim cinema buildings, which are actually perfect spaces for gathering, gained uh, uh, an additional momentum. And also another thing that they did in a very smart way, when they were evicted from the cinema, they decided to organize a big open-air cinema, like movie festival, and they started to talk with all the all the small shops in the neighborhood, and they said that, look, you would close in this period of the year because uh, because you would not have really any locals to buy local stuff in your, your, your shops in summer, but we will make this big festival. A lot of people will come here. We guarantee you uh, hundreds of people every night, and they will shop in your uh, shop. So maybe you want to promote, you want to invest a little bit in our festival and, and you know, in exchange you can uh, advertise or you can just have the people coming here. So that also created a very interesting economic dynamic of collecting money from the neighborhoods and creating a situation where everybody benefit, local, small local businesses benefited from this and also they, they built up uh, a funding model that was actually very sustainable and it keeps on continuing. And now, I think after a few years, they have uh, three locations with I guess every evening over 1,500 people watching movies. So it's a huge success, and I think it's a, it's a very interesting uh, example for how uh, a need for community spaces and also um, engagement and devotion can actually be, uh, create very big changes. We've talked about how cultural heritage can be both enabling condition for gentrification as well as a resource to resist it. What conditions, what instruments um, could uh, enhance communities to, to resist gentrification through using this resource? 
I can start. When we are talking about heritage, it's, I think it's crucial to understand uh, that we <clears throat> we differentiate heritage from non-heritage uh, by the uh, by by values they, they they have to us. And uh, for me, what is quite important to understand is that the values, as a kind of a philosophical, I would say concept, like putting the value, like defining the heritage through values they, they, they have, is itself is an intangible uh, heritage, element of intangible heritage. So what we, how we name something, how, what kind of values we attribute to the, uh, to the tangible elements of, the, uh, of our environment is the process is itself is uh, very intangible. So the most important in terms of the heritage, uh, it's uh, and uh, it, that uh, the protection of that continuity is what I'm saying is always uh, really respect uh, uh, the, the use, respect the people who are using that, that, uh, that, that, that tangible heritage because uh, because the worst thing is to lose those people because then there is a simple path to destruction and to uh, and it's happening very often even with the help with the uh, uh, people who should be responsible for heritage because they, those people those experts very often they are very much focused on this tangible, on the tangible. I- issues so for them, it's even, uh, and most of the people who are like using and transforming, obviously, that spaces, maybe not perfectly, you know, maybe they're not uh, like keeping the, that spaces in the way they would like them to, to do it. Like they're not like making conservation, conservation works there. Because they try sometimes they try to simply survive, uh, you know, using that that tangible heritage. But still, that's uh, that's better option for uh, uh, for for the heritage itself and gentrification, and to stop gentrification through this, then uh, let the buildings uh, uh, to be abandoned or let the space to be abandoned. Maybe it's something that we should uh, deeper discuss how to uh, protect that continuity and how to simply uh, address our activities uh, towards the community first, not to the building first. I think the thing is that, uh, as you said, it's uh, the experts uh, that have responsibility to protect heritage are more focused in uh, tangible heritage than intangible heritage because it's easier. It's something that is physical, something that you, you can classify. Uh, I was thinking about Lisbon, for example. It's, is, it's easier uh, to have um, uh, patterns of uh, evaluation on what these complex, these urban complex, these uh, um, building complex are uh, are tangible heritage because they have some characteristics, they have some story, history, and some story in in the in the in the territory. What is more difficult is the intangible intangible heritage, and uh, it becomes more difficult 
uh, when the intangible heritage are people, mm-hmm. <laughs> our communities, mm-hmm. our ways of living, uh, our. So I think that it's is is is. Um, it's more difficult to experts uh, to understand it and to uh, make a classification if you want. Uh, I'm thinking about all the process that we have in UNESCO, for example, to define what is emit, uh, uh, intangible uh, heritage, humanity heritage, or tangible uh, humanity heritage. And thinking, when, when you were talking, I was thinking about Lisbon, uh, uh, the example that I gave from Lisbon, um, I don't know if uh, um, I'm, I'm going to say some names because it's the people that are living. I don't know if Antonio or uh, Dona Conceição or uh, Dona Constanza or Carla or Rosario or Alessandra, uh, there are people that are fighting now the, the gentrification process and they are been living in the city center for a long time. I don't know if they have the conscience that they are the intangible heritage of the territory, but also the, the, the coffee shop. Uh, and the small grocery uh, from uh, uh, Don Annabella that it's uh, going to close because the gentrification process, mm-hmm. and so that's then th- that's the the mix that's the mix between the intangible and the tangible heritage mm-hmm. cultural heritage. Uh, we have the discussion in Lisbon about classifying the historical uh, stores, the mm-hmm. historical business. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important, mm-hmm. but. And when we we had the discussion about how to the patterns of uh, evaluation, you cannot separate the use, the building, and the um, and the people that uh, mm-hmm. for generations and generations uh, built that uh, heritage. And now, in fact, we started with uh, the the combination between uh, the building and the territory where it was. And the kind of um, the kind of uh, 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 shop it was, the kind of uh, um, uh, uh, mostly art craft uh, or uh, old uh, business, uh, traditional uh, business, and now we, we are talking about it's not the building that is so important; is the kind of uh, kind of uh, activity that is there, uh, and. That's the immaterial uh, heritage. So, and we are talking about the city center, the historical city center of the city. And the thing is that the big capital investments are always in the material, in the tangible uh, uh, heritage, in, to intervene in the tangible heritage. I don't know any example in the world where the capital, uh, the big capital intervention, is concerned to immaterial. Uh, immaterial uh, heritage. I think it's very interesting uh, that you both mentioned of uh, the question of how to protect certain uses, no? And I think in certain certain contexts, in certain heritage regulations, you can actually protect certain uses. And also, if we talk about, for example, historic shops, I think there's been a, a growing interest in how to define what is actually important for a community. How to protect that, but also in a way how to how to make those shops or those commercial exercises or arts and crafts, in the end, also more competitive with, in, mm-hmm. in, in the contemporary uh, environment or context. Because, I can, for example, Paris puts a lot of energy into bookshops in in some areas, because every you know tourism is pushing out uh, bookshops. Um, so how can you how can you turn a bookshop into a 
you know, a more modern enterprise that still keeps its bookshop shelf, but it's able to sell things online. It's able to store together with other shops in the street. So how can you aggregate resources, spaces, to really upgrade the potentials of, of, of these places? And it's a lot of training, it's a lot of uh, discussion, it's a lot of network building, but together all these, for example, commercial activities can be much stronger. Or we can think of... Uh, the the tools that one of our partners, the Stiftung Trias, uses when they actually build uh, like a separate ownership structure in all the spaces that they they uh, deal with, where land is owned by the foundation and the buildings are owned by a community, which excludes the possibility of reselling the property. So it is defined that that property without the consent of the foundation and the foundation was made to not allow uh, speculation. Uh, will never be sold again. And also the, the uses, the functions are very, very precisely defined that, for example, 33% art, 33% uh, production, 33% social. So there's different ways that you can create kind of a constituting document that actually protects or reinforces a certain use. And I think ownership plays a big part in this. Um, network making uh, plays a big uh, part in this cultural work to build appreciation, um, making all these assets more visible, and also like kind of, yeah, exactly public appreciation to, to understand that this thing here, this place, this bookshop, this uh, community venue is actually very important, it's crucial, and we cannot let it fall, because that would mean also the, the decline of the community. I think that I, I fully agree that the capital is not uh, about uh, intangible values. But I think at the same time, they know that they are important. Because I observed that because a few times some business guys approached mm -hmm. me um, on that issue. Because I think that what, what really attracts people to heritage is authenticity. So there's that yes. feeling that something is real and it's really it's rooted in the, in the life. Uh, so that what roots really in the life, these are practices of people that are not artificial, but are real. And that's intangible heritage. Okay. And, uh, and that's why they are very interested to imitate this. Uh, within these uh, transformed spaces. So trying to attract, of course, they are doing that completely uh, wrong way because it's usually like to, you know, bring some artists, make exhibition, make some event and so on, so on. So people still, I think, even if they it attracts people to that event or, you know, to see that exhibition, it's not there is no continuity in that process. It's still like um, decoration, I would say. One last question for reflection. The init initiatives that seek to resist these transformations, they have uh, very locally rooted histories. Um, they have very concrete interests uh, about their specific place. How could these initiatives actually collaborate uh, in order to resist these larger forces that operate in these various places? 
I think you can resist capital-driven development with uh, with public regulations, stronger regulations, or with other kinds of capital that is not aiming to produce just more capital, but it's aiming to produce community profit. Now, if you collaborate with different initiatives, you have more chance to be to put more pressure on a public administration or collaborate better with the public administration because you're seen as a more serious element of the city. So you have more chances to actually establish regulations that are making it more difficult for the big capital, investment capital, to, to take over uh, real estate. And also if you create these networks, you uh, have more access probably for to other kinds of funding. No? Here we, we talk about, uh, for example, how can you build a network of, of projects that uh, either use a kind of a solidarity fund, that's a revolving fund when... Uh, you know, you need a loan to renovate a building or to buy a building, and then step by step you pay it back into solidarity fund that is actually reinvesting in other places. So many mechanisms like uh, the Stiftung Trias that we mentioned, or uh, other kinds of solidarity fund, uh, like uh, Utrecht, the region of Utrecht introduced uh, uh, some kind of a, a solidarity fund like this. So it's the question, can we put some money on the table, public money or civic money or some private money that it doesn't want to create maximum profit, that is enabling communities to actually compete with, with big capital. And also, can we help with regulations uh, creating criteria that actually steers the whole development or the whole regeneration into community profit more than uh, individual big uh, profit? So I think there's many tools, and I think this is exactly a moment of big experimentation. Well, taxation... And legislation is a crucial element, like in this uh, broader and further perspective, obviously. But living right now uh, and here, I think it's very important to uh, to bring or put on the table uh, and to present to the public uh, good examples and uh, good experience that this uh, and also in such a way that people could understand that it's not by chance it's not another form of uh, speculation on so on but maybe more sexy and attractive it's just something different it's a different approach and i think that uh, building models that are um, uh, proven that works this this way or that way is something uh, that can really help. Uh, let's try to build model basing on the resources and support with at least some money, you know, to be a, to, to 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 build a kind of a umbrella uh, for uh, for this uh, in for this uh, this fragile this first fragile like uh, uh, moment to build a sustainability of those processes behind it we know that the the capital will be there we know that i think the way to face it uh, and to make a stand is to make more uh, to work more with the non-speculative speculative um, uh, sector if you want so there is a, a, a sector in society that can work with public sector Uh, that is not in public, so we could say private sector, but it is a cooperative system. Uh, I would say uh, we should do more PCPs. It's public, community, 
partnerships. Um, and these community partnerships can be with a local community uh, in, a, in a small territory, or we can use that PCPs as an instrument gene uh, that is spread uh, in, the, in our cities. It's a way of doing city, the building city and community. And the cooperative, I think the cooperative system, uh, it's, uh, I think it's the step, the step forward that we have to do. Uh, it's to build the cities with cooperatives. And cooperatives that can be on housing, can be on production, can be on cultural uh, sector, or can be one cooperative that have these three components. We must make uh, clear to national uh, level uh, governments and European uh, level institutions that we need funds to do it. And that's a great way to use our tax money in Europe. It's to support cooperatives and support cooperative system on building our cities. Great. Thank you very much, Paula. Levente and Maciek. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. More information on the Open Heritage Project which is a European research consortium funded under the EU's Horizon 2020 framework, can be accessed at openheritage.eu.